0: Hello YouTube, we are here with Simon Hill, which on the Lean Whiskies and Empire Building episode number six, I think it is. I've been looking at because Marcus is over in the corner as well, so. Simon Hill is a friend and, well, you're involved in business together, do some business for you, we talk about business a lot. He is a property, I don't know, know how to define you. You're a, you're you're an extremely proficient property expert across all fields. It's not just a, a lot of obviously people that do property are quite niche in one area. I know you're pretty big on HMOs, but your knowledge on properties is very good. And that's obviously why you and I got chatting. An issue. Um, so got him here to shoot the shit today. <laughs> um, we'll go over a little bit about this this week. Uh, well, last week we had a new Prime Minister announced. Um, was it this week? I can't remember what it was on this track of days. Well, it's well, very recent. Yeah, except um, for... Very recent. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff going on within the property world and also what we're doing in business as well. So we'll just talk a little bit about that, I think. Perfect, it, it yeah, Go yeah, from there. Good. But Simon is involved in, in more more ongoing property deals than I've ever seen in my life. Like you are, well, whereas I deal with a lot of people that are involved in property, they have one or two bit things going on. He's like me in terms of the amount of businesses that I run. He, you've got how many property things you've got going at the moment across the board? So we've got about
1: fifty HMOs that we're doing, and then maybe <laughs> a, maybe another fifteen, twenty other right. like, bits and pieces that. Are yeah, so
0: just match, right. Yeah, yeah, significant. So I think from a, from a standpoint of anyone that's involved in properties, go and find him on like if you just search Simon Hill on Instagram, find what he's doing. Um, crazy amounts of stuff and i think a lot of people that are involved in the property space are mental because i know you have a mentorship as well don't you they talk the talk but they're not really walking the walk and you certainly are doing both which is what i like and what i try and kind of push and promote um so let's dive right in with regards to you know the politic the the political world at the moment is absolutely just mind-blowing we've got like the lefties and the righties are becoming more left like everything's left at the moment in terms of where everything's sitting like how how do you think the new prime minister with the kind of shit she's she's saying she's going to do is going to affect the property market
1: or the 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 economy as a whole at the moment good question so i think probably it's more complicated than that as well in terms of i think there's a lot of stuff going on politically in this country also across the rest of the world. There's also a huge shift, I'd say, in attitudes of particularly young people that are buying property um, across the last five to ten years, which is like a perfect storm for certain types of properties and a huge disaster for other types of properties or people that are trying to do certain things in property. So, directly, what do I think in terms of Prime Minister, etc., hopefully the biggest thing ultimately is inflation interest rates and uh, the energy cap rise mm-hmm. so I think they're obviously all interlinked I think if the energy cap um rise that was previously announced that now looks like it's potentially going to be reduced fixed till 2024 if that comes into play and Liz trust does that ultimately that should then bring down inflation which is pretty significant And in turn, interest rates can be lowered or most likely will be lowered as a result of that because they're not needed to control inflation. I think all of those are a brilliant thing for the property market in general. Actually, if inflation did continue, interest rates continued, it wouldn't be the end of the world for the sort of areas of property that I'm in, but it would be for the greater good.
0: Yeah, in my personal opinion, I don't see interest rates coming down for a long time. I think they're going to go up a lot higher than people think as Mm. well. Um, and I think there's a lot of agendas behind closed doors for that as well. I think the government want that because it's a it's a, it's a mechanism of control. It's a redistribution of wealth. I've done a video, I spoke to Justin Morgan to the last podcast about this, in terms of it taxing the poor and benefiting the rich. So, and ultimately, inflation is caused by basically money supply. And, and what's happened is, is the governments have just printed an obscene amount of money over the last two years, like mind-blowing amounts of money. So you've just got basically money becoming less valuable because there's an abundance of it. There's a lot of money out there. That's what I say to people. If you can't make some money right now, then you're you're doing something wrong because there's a lot of it in in circulation. It's become way less valuable. So, but that being said, everyone's on a level playing field in terms of interest rates. And if prices are going up, that means everyone's prices are going up. You just have to be... have a bit of foresight and, and have a look. If you're going to be investing in property and you're kind of going on a clean sheet from now, picking the, the right property strategies rather than doing something dumb and not looking at what's going to happen over the next five, ten years because of the economy right now. And even, even that being said, you're better off kind of going for something. I'm are going to explain, but I'm, I'm guessing there's probably things that will still do well if inflation goes up and interest rates go up. even if they didn't or did, it's still like, for example, HMOs are still great either either. So you'd be better off kind of hedging your bets and going with something on that route. So
1: Redeploying their money into more optimized HMOs because they've gone through a stage of their life where they want to build capital. They're now at a stage where actually they're looking for income because they're retired and that side of things. So they're a good example actually of how people's priorities and what they want from property changes over time. And that one category of property wouldn't necessarily suit somebody f- for the whole time that they're investing that's probably like a 15 to 20 year span that we're talking about do i think hmos are are the best uh, in terms of hedging your bets i do for a number of reasons so the way one thing i would say is hmos can be anything from a three-bedroom flat because it's uh, it's more than two people that are unrelated sharing a property mm-hmm. um hmos can be anything from a three bed flat to we're just doing one at the moment we're hoping to make a 13 bedroom property we've done one before which was 25 bedrooms um ultimately from hmos you get significant if you do it correctly or optimize it you get significant cash flow you get a lot of equity built in you choose a location which is super in demand and you get a brilliant quality of tenant. Ultimately, if you don't plan an HMO, you can have terrible tenants in an awful area with lots of arrears, no money coming in, no capital growth, you haven't optimised it, it's a poor layout, etc. So I think more than just a a criteria, a a area of property, it's important to get it right. But yeah, I'd say HMOs are a brilliant bet for hedging your bets overall, spreading your money. uh, And they are quite diverse, but also I think they're a hugely expanding area of property where other things maybe are diminishing slightly.
0: Okay. So obviously you got into the main thing that you do now, or one of the main things you do now is obviously you talked about making efficient HMO. So you'll take like a, a domestic property and you'll effectively find them for a client. You'll then find the perfect property or, or supposedly based on your skill set, like a great property to convert from say like three or four to a seven bed or something like that. Yeah. You're charging a fee for doing that and then you've got the whole building firm that go in and do it for them. You handle all of like the, the soliciting side, the, the councils, the whole shebang. And you're very good at that. Um, what on earth got you into that? Like why did you get into that? What, 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 how did that, because obviously that's, that's becoming very good for you and very good for the client, obviously, but what got you into that? What was the, what was the? Cool.
1: So without going back too far, I guess, When I was at school, I was looking for something where I could have my own business. I could have freedom of choice in terms of time. My main goal was I wanted to drop my kids off at school in a nice car, pick them up from school in a nice car, have the freedom to do um, activities and things with them, um, but also earn a good amount of money from doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, the parents that I looked around at my school, um, and I went to a private school, that were able to do that. A lot of that was around property. Right. Um, So I sort of then had to pick a niche within property. I accidentally happened upon HMOs and I sort of thought it was a hugely expanding thing because a lot of the, you know, You obviously take a lot from your parents or other people's parents, that side of things. They were all telling me stories about how when they were 18, 19, they bought their first house. And then, you know, I look at people I went to school with, I'm 34 now, a significant number of them still don't even own their first property. You look a lot older. Yeah, so you look look well. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) The other day, yesterday, I went out for dinner. I went for dinner, and the uh, waitress said, thought I was 44. So,
0: (laughs) well, (laughs) clearly, the stress of all the HMOs, if you go to your level, the money's good, but the uh, the stress probably not so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I joke, I joke, you're pretty.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, so ultimately, I was like, right cool, property is what I want to do. And then I saw HMOs as, as this expanding thing. But I also recognised that lots of people weren't interested in HMOs. So I sort of thought, well, difficulty presents opportunity. There's lots of people that don't like this asset class. What can I do to take that that I can see as potentially profitable, but take it further? Um, and there were other people that have done that in other areas of the country as well, and even where we operate. But ultimately i had a letting agency it was the easiest into property i did sort of the formal uh, you know going and working for a surveying firm and i personally it wasn't for me um and then yeah just work for a letting agency um and i could see that there was an opportunity to help people buy additional properties and to earn money from it Mm -hmm. so i had one client i found over 100 properties for them that they started off being properties from right move and then ultimately there were off market deals and they got more intricate and more, um, complicated as we went through. And obviously the amount of money that he could make from them got increased as, as we went along, but I'd always just got drawn back to HMOs sold out of the letting agency, uh, about nearly four years ago now, uh, and ultimately had had set up a building company where i'd started sourcing properties and hmos was just the best area so i used to charge a thousand pound per property to source them and at the moment we're charging between 35 and forty pound to be honest per property and to be honest the work involved in what we're doing now is not that dissimilar to what i was doing previously for a thousand pound ago so there's a big lesson there about charging what you're worth and keep re-evaluating what your pricing is and that side of things. And, and also, you know, uh, I owe a lot to the people that paid me a thousand pound a time, but you know, I grew, my ability grew and the amount I was being paid didn't grow along that time. So reevaluating your clients as well. And you, you control all the builders as well for those too. So it's like not just
0: finding a property for someone like hands off, you're like literally every element.
1: Yeah, quite often people say, well, why would somebody pay you to find a property they could go and find it themselves? Ultimately, I actually did a video the other day on this, didn't we? Um, but a lot of it is that you've got time, money, and knowledge. And typically, if you don't have one of those, you can use the other two to get hold of the third one. So, for example, I had, at the time, time and knowledge, but I didn't have the money to do the project. So I would find properties for people. They'd put the money in and effectively buy my time and knowledge. And I'd buy their money with my time and, and knowledge and it was just an exchange of value which worked really, really well. But yeah, like you say, uh, we're trying to constantly like refine what we're doing to make it better and better and better and better. And there's examples, loads of examples that I can think of of people that are doing what I'm doing that 10 years ago, I massively looked up to their product. I thought it was unbelievable, but they haven't necessarily continued improving. They sort of rested on their laurels a bit. And ultimately, their properties now when they were the pinnacle of, of HMOs, um, they're nowhere near the top of the standard now and they're the ones actually struggling to rent their rooms. And also, property is a thing where there's a lot of people that are older that have got properties. You know, the typical HMO, son or daughter goes to university, a lot of HMOs are student properties. Mm -hmm. Son or daughter goes to university, parents don't want to pay a greedy landlord the rent, so they decide to buy somewhere, let their friends live in it for a reduced rate or whatever, pay the mortgage. But ultimately, for example, if they're from Oxford and then they're in Portsmouth, their child goes to university in Portsmouth, after three years, they haven't actually thought through an exit strategy and they end up with a property that is 50 or 100 miles away or whatever it is from where they live. They always still remember it as the day that their child moved in when it was freshly painted and now that would be 10 years ago with magnolia walls and brown carpets and that and you know some very basic cheap ikea furniture Mm -hmm. or charity shop stuff and ultimately now that isn't what students want students and the young professionals are prepared to spend a higher proportion of their disposable income on their accommodation to have somewhere nice and those properties now are really dated but you get this situation where the agent that's advertising that property that has been letting it for 10 years or so is too afraid um, of telling the truth of, of what the situation is, so you end up with these properties that are vacant. And now, now, like we're in September, most students move in in August, July, August, right. early September. Now is a time where, if you went online, you'd see a significant number of properties that are in poor condition that you know full well when you look at them. There's a reason why they're not let, um, but you know, seemingly the. The owners of them being so far away, they haven't got their finger on the pulse of what's needed. Okay, so
0: how do you think that this market's going to going to shift? Do you think it's going to end up because where the government's doing things, it's, it'll seem like well, do you think the, the government's going to penalise you know, landlords and stuff going forward even more because there's a lot of talk about like they've made it has made it harder and harder it's like more they they they've, they've been quite heavy on like licensed HMOs and unlicensed HMOs that there in my opinion, have brought up the standard, to be fair, because they've forced a lot of rogue landlords out. Like, how do you see, do you think this is going to be a good, obviously you probably do, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, but do you think HMOs will be good for a landlord long
1: term? Good question. So I think like most things in life, if there's difficulty, it presents opportunity. Ultimately, I think the people that are going to be penalised are those that don't have the knowledge or the time uh, and aren't prepared to part with their money to pay somebody else who does have the knowledge and time to do that. So, um, yes, it has been made significantly harder for landlords. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there was a lot of you know, unscrupulous behaviour, a lot of landlords behaving in ways they shouldn't. There was a lot of things that were unfair happening to tenants that I've seen and disagreed with in the last 10, 11, 12 years that I've been in property. Um, And ultimately, I think the regulation has been a good thing for those who want to get on board with doing things the right way and complying with that regulation. There's certain bits I probably don't agree with, but it's impossible for the government or whoever's putting in place those uh you know restrictions to get it all right but yeah i think ultimately uh it is a, it is a good thing you just need to be prepared to comply with those um legislations regulations etc uh and to look at what the opportunities and avenues are one thing that it has meant is there's a significantly lower number of buy-to-let landlords in the market now like i was saying a minute oh, ago okay. 10 minutes 10 years ago for example if you bought a property well actually yeah i bought one 14 years ago uh i paid one hundred thirty-one thousand pounds for for this house now i know properties in that road are sort of 260 it's a pounds pound let's not forget that 14 years ago was 2008 when there'd been a, a a huge crash you had a significant number of couples that became accidental landlords so for example you know uh he had a property that he just bought on a 100% mortgage or a 95% mortgage she had the same prices had dropped 15 20% whatever it were in that that location and ultimately they're 15% underwater they end up in a situation where they they can't even hand the keys back because they're going to end up with poor credit. These weren't people that these these were, you know, hardworking people that have just because of the economy ends up in that situation. Ultimately, we had loads of examples of that when we had the letting agency and those people just retain the properties. It might have been that they either broke even or actually they put their hand in the pocket for 100, 200 pound a month. But now they're probably in their 40s, late 30s and 40s and maybe have a mortgage of their own. Now they're in a situation where if they sell that property, they've got 130, 150, 200,000 pounds worth of equity. They can pay off their own mortgage. And, And in some cases that would clear their mortgage. So that's why I think that's one of the reasons you see a significant number of people exiting obviously off the back of that, that means there's significantly fewer accidental landlords who are ultimately the ones who probably often struggle to comply with the regulation. So I think the model has gone from accidental landlords to more deliberate property investment which is a good thing, because it's people who actually want to, in most cases, um, comply. And then moving forwards, it will be those not only that are deliberate, but they're selecting particular strategic classes of properties, like HMOs, that will appeal to the trends happening um, in in the property world. For example, a lot more people now, young people in particular, that form a big part of the rental population are more transient. They you know, I think of my brother, for example, he doesn't know if his work might be in Austria, Germany, America in the next 12, 14 months, you know, 24 months, whatever it were. So ultimately, buying somewhere to live in may not be the best option for a lot of people. They might buy for investment elsewhere deliberately and become part of the landlord 's statistic, but the actual property they live in, it may be unaffordable or not the correct option for them to choose. And therefore, HMOs represent a really good opportunity for people to buy properties that are exactly the stock that that young people want, um, which gives them significantly more flexibility as well. I know so many people that have got finance cars, finance watches. Everything's on finance Mm. because money's been so cheap. And because ultimately with Instagram and Facebook and social media, people are trying to keep up with the the things they see online. And ultimately, then that doesn't actually leave them any room to save any money to buy a property. So, you know, you see, certainly at the moment, the quickest answer to it is we're getting offered more properties. So there right. obviously supply is a slowdown, yeah. yeah, supply is increasing, there is a slowdown. We, you know, we were buying properties at, at a higher value than perhaps we are at the moment. Um, but in general, I think there will be a correction, there has to be a correction. It's also the knock-on of that correction, because it doesn't necessarily affect that one person whose property, no. uh, you know, it's... And the biggest area I think we see that in is, where do deposits come from for first-time buyers? Parents. A lot of them is parents, because ultimately, if their property's gone up by 100, 150,000 over the last five years, well, actually, if they need 50,000 to give their children a de- or child a deposit, for a lot of those people, that is still possible. A lot of people are working longer. I saw a statistic yesterday that a third, uh, that a quarter of people over 65 um, went in back into work in the last six months alone. Really? Which is I've serious. Seen that. And obviously, what that means is actually a lot of those people, their mortgages last longer. They are able, there's equity releases significantly more popular. So you're seeing a lot of parents give their children the deposit. Obviously, if house price correction comes in and their property is, is lower in value, then although the first-time buyer properties may be cheaper because the, there's been a correction, they won't have the deposit to do so. So you're right, it entirely depends. What do the government do? but also what are the multipliers that banks are prepared to do? What happens with Mm. the economy in terms of job security? I think we're moving a lot more to a model, it'd be interesting to get your view on this, where people are paid on performance. So a lot more people become self-employed. And ultimately that traditionally can make it more difficult to get a mortgage. Most people, obviously first-time buyers, buy with a mortgage as well. So yeah, that's actually a really good point Um, because
0: I've, 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 I've kind of, said this quite a lot that this recession I think will push a lot more people into working to making their side hustle or or starting their own business out of um out of obviously either losing their job or just thinking well, fuck this it's not worth it like i'm like you say if you're getting paid in performance, you may as well just go going to your own thing right so there's going to be a lot more people shifting into that. And now it's easier, it's because it's easier than ever. There's the the, the barriers to entry to run your own business, a service-based business are so low, it doesn't cost you anything really. You just need a laptop and internet connection and probably someone to explain to you what to do if you don't know how to do it. That is it (laughs) and you can work from home. Um, But that does raise a problem of then people being able to get, I heard a really funny story actually recently that will illustrate this point completely. So I know I'm very good friends with a few financial people that help people with their, their mortgages and one was the CEO or the director of the company, right? It was a, it was a really successful restaurant. And this was during, you know, uh, it was during the last two years. So obviously not best, best for, for, for getting out finance, but um, I think it was during lockdown actually. And so the, 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 the director and one of his employees both went for a mortgage at the same time. The director was on a massive amount of money, like relatively speaking, um, to the, compared to the chef that was applying for his mortgage. Now, get this. Apparently, the mortgage that they were getting were both borrowing a similar amount of money. The banks turned down the director because of the risk associated with his company shutting, because he ran the company. But the guy that was employed by him, because he was in employment, got the mortgage, right? This is like a computer says no situation. Completely ridiculous. So some prat hasn't looked (laughs) at They don't even look at the business as, as a whole. It's only if you run the business or you're the business owner, you're high risk. But you can be employed by that business and that's no risk
1: at all. So when we went for our last mortgage, um, we moved about two years ago, we got turned down six times by the bank. But ultimately, it wasn't even a new mortgage. We literally just ported our mortgage from one house to another. The house we were buying was nearly £100,000 more, which we were putting the equity in. But ultimately, yeah, we got, I think we got refused six or seven times. And then eventually it went through, but it was, it was an exceptionally emotional journey to get there. Um, and like you say, it was ridiculous. They had, uh, less risk. It was a higher value property. The property has gone up nearly 200 grand since we bought it. Um, their percentage of the property that they, that we had borrowed was really low. We're in a better financial position, you know, in terms of earnings to do it property, like I said, um, it's probably gone up in value about £130,000. There's not many things, particularly because I haven't sold it, I've refinanced it, there's not many things you could do to end up with £100,000 in your property. tax-free. Tax-free, that you could do, imagine the amount you'd have to earn in order to have that money. So I think as a long-term strategy, absolutely, I'd still invest in property. So quickly then,
0: the the guys out there like the Grant Cardones that go, don't, Buy your own house, rent. Like I've always disagree with that entirely, right? Um, one from a perspective of I quite like owning the thing I live in. Just from like you know, I never like borrowing a book from the library. I always wanted to buy it and own it. I, I don't know why. It was just an inherent like maybe it's a, a weird thing that I just like to own the thing that I have. Um, plus, I think you also have a bit more pride with that thing, and you care care for it a little bit more, even though the bank owns it. Let's be honest. Unless you <laughs> own more equity than the bank does, but. In my head, I owned it, I didn't rent it. Someone else, because in my mind, some other guy owned that house, it's I don't have the same connection to it. What's your opinions on that? Because also, I understand the argument for like it doesn't cash flow you. But in my opinion, as you just said, if you doesn't cash flow you, but in terms of capital appreciation, I've earned ridiculous amounts of money tax-free from just living in my houses, my homes, yeah. and doing a little bit of work on them. So I think What's there's your, a
1: compromise there between Ultimately, the reason people typically say to rent rather than to buy is because you could use that money that otherwise would be the deposit in order to buy additional cash flowing assets. If you're just going to spend that money and you're not going to uh, invest it, then I don't think it's a very good idea. uh, One thing there is there is that everyone's situation is unique. But for example... Theoretically, with that strategy, you would put the minimum possible deposit on your own home and buy as many other properties as you possibly could. So for example, you can get either a, a 5 or a 10% deposit in some cases against the mm. property. We haven't chosen to do that, but ultimately, if you were to do that, and it were a decision between putting 20 25% into your own home versus, or you're refinancing or whatever, to buy additional property in general, as long as you know what you're doing or you're paying somebody who does know what they're doing, I think that's a great idea because you benefit from the capital growth long term that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, In terms of purely renting the place you live in, one of the reasons I wouldn't want to do that myself is, as I said earlier, an awful lot of landlords are exiting, and I see on my social media, particularly Facebook, all day, every day, people saying, oh, we've just been given notice, we want to move out. For me, I would hate the instability. Uh, or for somebody else being able to dictate that suddenly I've got up and move and I've only got two months to do it. Especially kids as well. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, so for me, having kids probably wouldn't be the right thing. But I guess when you're younger, you know, particularly if you're able to downgrade your lifestyle for a short period of time to upgrade long term, I think it's a great idea. You know, if if I had my time again uh, and I didn't have kids, um, then I probably would look to rent this or, you know, Rent or stay with parents for a significantly longer period of time. I'm no, I'm not naive enough to think that one of the reasons that I've now have a number of properties is because I get on really well with my parents. And when I had the opportunity to go and rent somewhere, and my most of my friends were doing so, I chose to stay at home. Um, to to help around the house and contribute in other ways other than financially to their property and they were generous enough that i didn't have to pay rent but ultimately that allowed me the time to save Not only that, you know, I did do a significant number of other things in terms of selling rugby shirts online (laughs) to get extra money, you know, reselling my uniform for work because I worked for a clothing company. I did as many things as I possibly could to earn extra money. I worked ridiculously hard, but that allowed me to save as much as possible. She believed in what I wanted to do more than I believed in it. Um, And I believed in it a lot. And then I started taking a salary of £600 a month out of the company. You know, and obviously things are quite different now and the job roles have changed between the two of us. But at the time, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done and we wouldn't have the things we have, had it not been that she paid, you know, had it not been for my parents and allowed me to live at home, help me out when I needed it, et cetera, et cetera. And had it not been, um, and you know, they invested in the first company I had, the letting agency. They more than got their money back when we sold it, when we sold out. But ultimately, you know, my sister worked for me for free for a period of time. She then got some equity from the company. So I guess it was, there's a big lesson there in terms of teamwork, other people believing in things and that sort of it. Do you know things.
0: what, I, I really value that you've actually said that because nothing rubs me up the wrong way more than people that go, I'm self-made. I'm like, you're not, mate. Like, you had, a, you had a support system, no matter what it was. Like, there probably is some people out there that are self-made to a certain extent but people overlook their family, their partners, their siblings that have actually got involved and given them a leg up. And I've been so lucky with my, like I haven't been given money, but I've been given time and help and the ability to not have to spend money, which has also been given money in my eyes, right? And just having people there to fucking pick you up when you're down you're having a bad day or things go wrong as they do, especially when you're trying to grow, you get a lot of growing pains and like you're getting smacked in the face and like run over and trodden on constantly by everyone. And it feels like a never ending cycle and you're never going to get there. And you've got people in your corner pushing you.
1: That's not self-made. There's also like other people I look at that weren't Robert, you know, Robin hugely helped me massively. Definitely wouldn't have it if I wasn't with her, but similarly there's other people along the way that have given me snippets of information that they would never realise were that important But I still remember those things. And one thing I remember seeing was take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. I guess that's ultimately exactly what I'm trying to do now. I know I'm onto an unbelievable thing with the HMOs and I'm really trying to push it as hard as I possibly can. Because who knows whether that opportunity window will be open for six months, 12 months. 24 months, five years, but there will be a deadline to when that is no longer applicable and when I can't go for it as hard as possible and when there's more competition. So I'm just trying to take advantage of it as much as possible. I guess, yeah, there's definitely other people um, that have have hugely helped me along the way with things they've said, things they've done. I'm trying to do, literally, I agreed a deal yesterday Um, and ultimately it's a very lucrative deal. The only reason that that person's chosen to sell to me, uh, and and structure is creatively financed, is because they got a recommendation to somebody else. That person dealt with me over the last ten years mm. and has said whatever he said is, is the case is is actually the case. You know, I have no reason over the last ten years of dealing with this guy. They actually had a shop upset. They used to be a competitor. I have no reason not to think that they're going to do what they exactly what they said they're going to do, which is you know. That's the only reason I've had the credibility to do it. I can tell him to, I'm blue in the face what I'm going to do, but when somebody else has backed me up that's completely independent, there's no benefit whatsoever of them doing it. I mean, another maybe five deals I'm doing at the moment are financed by somebody I've known for the last 10 years, and they've had the trust in me to lend money or invest money to make it happen. I always say it's
0: like, if you're an arsehole, business will... Die out very quickly. You can make a lot of money very quickly by being an arsehole, but you can't have a long, long-term business with that strategy. And if you want true wealth and a great reputation and sleep well at night, then build a prop. Sorry, build build a business and be a person that you can be proud of. I suppose that's the crux of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, i got a situation yesterday where something's not gone as well as it could. N- nothing to do with me. Not my fault whatsoever. It's to do with the bridging finance that they this person's used. But ultimately, we ended up having a make-or-break conversation to get this deal done, uh, this different deal done. And, you know, we had the conversation, which is sometimes when you're dealing with somebody, nothing goes wrong. You've got a neutral opinion because nothing's gone wrong, but they've not had to go out of their way to offer you an unbelievable service. Mm -hmm. Whereas actually, sometimes when something doesn't go perfectly and there are issues, but then you react to that or somebody else reacts to it to you know, go well above and beyond, then you've got a significantly higher opinion of that person than you ever would if it had gone well or okay along the way. Um, I can think of somebody that I've done a deal with in the last couple of years. I met them when I was 16 working in Nando's and I remember there was an issue with their order, so I gave them a load of free chips and some free drinks. <laughs> but out the back of that, there was a friendship that's lasted the last 15 years off the back of that one thing that I did at the time that I didn't have to do and probably my manager at the time would never have told me to do and went like well above and beyond at that stage. Okay, so to wrap this up then,
0: what would you say the most important variable, I think you might just have just touched on it there, the most important variable to long term success is in your opinion, for like
1: just for other people to kind of take note. I'd say consistency. It's probably yeah. Consistency because there's so many times when, like, I, you know, I, I don't even think of myself as successful at all. Um, you know, I know that other people would, in terms of the money we're earning and the, the things, material things you got, and stuff like that. But I don't think of myself as successful. Mm-hmm. I still, I want to achieve my full potential, uh, and I think consistency is the only thing that will get you there. In like in life, you get a lucky jump. Um, like I listen to a lot of Jim Rohn audios and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, Uh, and he says you can have a luck, sometimes your income will take a lucky jump, but if you don't develop as a person, then ultimately it will come crashing straight back down to what you deserve. You only get what you actually deserve. And therefore I think consistency of continuing whatever it is, whatever path is, is, is the most important thing.
0: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, on that note, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great times. Like, subscribe, do all the the fancy stuff around the video and uh, see you on the next one.